0: Warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program.
1: real britannia podcast a very british podcast about very british movies with just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott, here as usual. At the other end of a Skype line, or one of two Skype lines, is my fellow co-host, Stephen. Good morning. morning, Matt. How are you doing? Very well. Very well. Very excited this morning because we've got a guest. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, it's Tyler Adams from the Goon Show pod. Hello, mate. How are you doing?
0: Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Stephen.
1: Mm. Yes. Um Yes. Listeners may be aware that I've, I've appeared on your show a couple of times now in yeah, the last yeah. year. And we're returning the uh, the invite And you've brought a cracker to the table this morning, sir
0: Yeah, it's a film that deserves to be better known than it actually is,
1: for mm. sure Yeah, we'll talk about Robbery from 1967, obviously, as we progress But before we do that, tell us about your podcast, mate it's, it's relatively new in the podcasting world You know, that massive great pond of podcasts out there And am I right in saying you're one of very, very few podcasts actually Talking about The Goon Show? I
0: don't think I'm the only one. You are. Um, That's what I I I thought. I'm old enough to remember Mm. when podcasts were, there was only like half a dozen podcasts in the world. Yep. But it has, especially because of lockdown and COVID and whatnot, it's just, it's every other person has a podcast these days. Yeah. I've always wanted to do a podcast and I, for for a while, I was sort of umming an hour over what topic to choose. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I wanted something that was something that was um, big enough that it would sustain, you know, a lot of episodes. didn't want it to be too niche. Yeah. Uh, or, or too limited in terms of its scope and so I considered many different things and then I decided that I'd revisit because I was a huge Goons fan when I was a teenager and I decided that I would sort of revisit that world but open it up because mm. I thought a podcast which is just about the Goon Show itself. Again, it's a bit limited, so I thought I would open it up, and it basically we can we talk about anything that has a goon in it. So that can be Peter Sellers films. Mm-hmm. I'd even include Life of Brian would qualify because Spike Spikes turns up in, in that it. for about yeah. for a minute. Yeah, we we talk about Spike books, Harry Seacum products. Even though you know I always say I'm not doing Highway, never doing Highway, <laughs> um, and by the way, uh, never doing curry and Chips either. The, no, um, no. Uh, I've covered even things like Michael Bentine's party time. Yes. You know, I've noticed that some guests the Goons is a jumping off point in the conversation and it then just sort of the conversation just sort of blossoms and we go off into all different types of British comedy yes. and and light entertainment generally.
1: Was it Robin Ince that said what he likes about the podcast is the fact that it's, an, it's a snapshot of like social commentary of what was going on at different times because people's memories of the Goon show cover obviously from the 50s when they were first broadcast. Through to like say the eighties when I first discovered them, and then people still discovering them now, and it's sort of this, this sort of snapshot of what was going on at the time as well, isn't it? That's basically yeah. what, what
0: you're covering. Well, again, when I started do started the podcast, I did think that the guests that I would have would tend to be, or the only listeners I would have would tend mm. to be, um, yeah, I'm making a gross generalisation, <laughs> but men in their seventies, <laughs> you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what I found, as with with you, and and I would say the vast majority of my guests, they when i'm in my late 40s and mm. you know generation x yeah or um you know sort of people in their 40s and, and 50s have been my guests and the majority have got into the goon show through listening to the dad's tapes or lps yeah.
1: um or through python or something like that possibly oh, python yeah, yeah.
0: um yeah. i had a guy yesterday actually as i was recording yesterday a, a show about uh, harry seekon and um my guess was not particularly a goons fan well he, he was but he he wasn't you know he he he'd only listened to maybe 20 shows yeah in his life but he got into it through python absolutely just through go. becoming a fan of python and then looking into um the history of python and and you know the lineage and going back to the q series and blah 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 yeah you know?
1: Yeah. With regard to British movies, which is what this podcast is all about, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you've brought a cracker to the table today. I mean, where do you normally turn to when you watch a British movie? I'm assuming there's a lot of old sort of 50s comedies, sort of golden age British comedies that are your regular turn tos. This is far from a golden age British comedy we're going to talk about today. Have you got any favourite movies, any particular genres that you turn to, or actors or directors? Yeah. Yes, I do like comedies,
0: and I do tend to like the British comedies of the 50s and 60s for sure yeah obviously obviously sellers films mm-hmm. um my favorite peter sellers film of all time well my favorite peter sellers film is a shot in the dark which Ooh. i suppose technically is a british film i suppose we, um, we but, count
1: the pink panther as a british movie we, we call it a br- yeah. british international movie I yes think we call, okay. I think last
0: but in terms of a, a, a proper british peter sellers film mm-hmm. uh, my favorite is two-way stretch which is mine as well yeah yeah, mm. yeah. But I like Crime Capers. Mm-hmm. I love The League of Gentlemen. That's excellent. It's one of my favourite films. Basil Dearden, yeah. I just love older British films. I'm not so keen on, on British films more recently, although having said that, mm-hmm. I've got to say, it probably my favourite British film of the last 20 years is Paddington
1: 2. That is an excellent movie. It's the perfect kids' movie, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. And Hugh Grant's yeah. a revelation in it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And uh, <laughs> Gleeson. Brendan oh,
1: Gleeson. doing a, a mad-eyed Moody, almost. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely great film. Paddington, a good shout, indeed. He is a very That's good great, very, yeah. very good movie. Okay, but we're not here to talk about classic British comedies or even brand new movies, even though you know we could sit here and probably talk about Paddington too, guys, for, for an hour or so. We're going back to 1967. It's Peter Yates directed movie starring Stanley Baker, it's robbery. We'll be back after this. <sighs>
0: Listen. He's in prison. We'll have to get him out. Somebody's recruiting and only top specialists. I'm interested. I'll take Can a cut. Come we in. I'm making inquiries into a robbery. Got a warrant, Inspector.
2: I wish you'd talk to my
0: husband. We'd like to. Do you know where he is?
2: You tell
1: me what the gun's for. And I'll come back to bed.
2: What?
0: I'm sorry, Lars, you'll have to get yourself home again.
1: So what makes you so different from any other man I might want to go to bed with? Keep
0: Perfect crime. They're wrong. They're ten million dollars wrong.
1: OK, that's Robbery, released in 1967, directed by Peter Yates, as I said. Starring Stanley Baker, James Booth, Frank Finley, Barry Foster, William Marlowe, George Sewell, and Glyn Edwards. The synopsis, as I mentioned off air guys, it was very difficult to find something that A summed up the film and B was actually sort of relevant, you know, it was, it was very difficult. I found one from the Radio Times and it's it's sort of there. According to the Radio Times, the summary is, a criminal hatches a plot to rob the overnight mail train from Glasgow, assembling a gang of thieves and breaking a currency expert out of jail. Although the gang gets away with millions, a simple mistake while dividing up the loot puts police on their trail drama inspired by the Great Train Robbery starring Stanley Baker, Frank Finley and James Booth. It is at the heart of it, this is the Great Train Robbery told sort of four four or five years down the line. We, we know that. This was based on the Great Train Robbery. But what I didn't realise, guys, when I was doing a little bit of research, was that the only bit that was actually based on true life events is the robbery itself. They had to take this from court evidence. Everything else is sort of reconstructed. There's certain parts of it are vaguely sort of true to what actually went on before and after the robbery. A lot of it is completely fictionalised. The only reason being, from what I can gather, was because a lot of the gang was still on the run. Buster Edwards all of this. lot, The police knew who who the train robbers were, they weren't allowed to sort of give any hints or implicate to real people involved. Did you know this? It was all just totally fictionalised, the sort of back-end. For for defamation mm, purposes. Basically, yeah, the police have put up wanted posters way back in 63 because they knew it was Gordon Goody and Bruce Reynolds and all of this lot. But um, legal reasons, they couldn't identify them in the screenplay, But even though (laughs) Stanley Baker does look like Bruce Reynolds, you know. So, I mean, if you go back and listen to the Rainbow Valley episode that I did on the Great Train Robbery, you get the full account of what goes on and before we start can i just sort of traditionally i ask my guests this sort of history with this movie you chose this movie tyler yes so obviously you've seen it before i'm assuming you're a big fan of it how many times have you seen it and how did you discover it
0: okay this is my so so obviously watching it for the purposes of this this was my third viewing yeah so i got a blu-ray player about i don't know six years ago Mm. okay and i just went through a period of just buying as many blu-rays as i could and there was a, a network sale Yes. And I got Hell Drivers. And up Mm. to that point, I mean, I'd seen Zulu. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you'd asked me, I couldn't really name any other sort of Stanley Baker films that I'd seen up to that point. And I watched Hell Drivers, which is... A phenomenal film. Yeah, uh, I absolutely adore that film. And and uh, William Hartnup and yeah. uh, McGowan are great in that as well. Yeah. So I so I saw that I thought great. So I did a bit of reading up on um, Baker, and then I saw that the robbery, this film that I had, I'd never heard of robbery. And it was there was a Blu-ray available, so I bought the Blu-ray, and I you know I I didn't have any particular expectations going in, and I stuck it in, turned it on, and it just automatically entered my top twenty or thirty yeah. favorite <laughs> films. <laughs> And then after that, actually, I started and in fact, I watched off the back of your review, I watched um, another favorite, A Prize of Arms.
1: It's a great movie. Yeah. We reviewed yeah, that eventually. Wow. Anthony. That's one of his favourite all-time films. something about Stanley yeah. Baker, isn't it? I think, you know, he's, he's, he's not sort of mentioned in the same breath as your Michael Caines and all these guys that we normally talk about. But he certainly deserves his place in British film history. Can I just say something about
0: Stanley Baker? Again, watching the film again last night mm. for the purposes of this, I was getting a kind of a Sean Connery energy. From him okay if you yeah. know what i mean and kind of in the way he looked and his masculinity if you for want of a better word <laughs> yeah and i just thought you know he's almost like and this, this sounds like a terrible dismissive dismissive thing to say but almost like a poor man sean connery <laughs> you know
1: <laughs> yeah he's, he's sort of got that that older sean connery not early bond but sort of um Older, yes. The the Mm. early 70s, around about the time of the offence and all those movies he was making sort of post-Bond, you know. And uh, Yeah, definitely that rugged almost, like like you say, the masculinity side of things. Yeah. For us, again, he was sort of an undiscovered gem, you know, because we hadn't seen Prize of Arms, Stephen, had we, until Anthony brought it to the table. You're right, yeah. And uh, we absolutely loved it. I mean, with regard to this movie, mate, what's your history with it? First time watch or have you seen it before? I hadn't seen it before,
2: not consciously. I've possibly mm. I've, I've seen a snippet of it Which was when flicking through TV at some point But I doubt it Because I'm not sure this has actually been Much on television no. So although I was aware of it Just because of Stanley Baker I definitely don't think I've seen it In any real way to be able to say I've seen it So this was a first
1: time watch uh, Thankfully Good, okay Because as Tyler just mentioned there The Blu-ray Which only came out four or five years ago Was it? I think Tyler is not mm, Yeah Previously it had been released briefly on VHS in the 80s, and there was no copies of it floating about, even, you know, on your Pirate Bays and all this lot. It was one of these very hard-to-find movies. And thankfully, I mean, the network didn't have a sale on, but I picked up a copy last week for a tenner of the Blu-ray because I'd never seen it on Blu-ray. I'd only ever seen my old VHS copy. And it's a beautiful transfer, isn't it? Oh, it's it's got the restored aspect ratio. Douglas Slocum Cinematography. Mm. So it certainly deserves a Blu-ray restoration. And what I like, I mean, I had a quick look at the making of documentary, and it's got Glyn Edwards and a couple of the surviving... Glenn Edwards is no longer with us, unfortunately, but some of the surviving yeah. cast and crew when that was made four or five years ago. And also on there, which I've only just spotted when I look through the DVD menu, there's the German film called The Great Train Robbery. Did you watch this on, on the Blu-ray? No, I've
0: seen it. I haven't watched it,
1: but I saw it was on that. Yeah, basically what it is, <laughs> um, literally 1964, six months after The Great Train Robbery, a German film company dramatised The Great Train Robbery. I mean, it may have been for TV. I'm not too sure. Black and white movie, totally recreating all the events that went on. And every time you ever watch documentary on the Great Train Robbery from you know five six years ago, whatever, they always use clips of that this German film as as dramatised reconstructions of what went on oh, because it I was like, so <laughs> accurate. One of the things the German film got right compared to the the thing that was totally fictionalised in this is the opening scene. Okay, guys, which is the diamond robbery. Now the diamond robbery is you. Used as a basis of funding the Great Train Robbery itself, isn't it? They've got this elaborate plan of, of gassing a chauffeur-driven car, disguising themselves as ambulance drivers, and then literally just lifting the bodies out of the car, cutting off the briefcase containing the diamonds and, and making their getaway. What we need to mention here, the director is Peter Yates, and it was this initial 10 minutes, the car chase scene, that got him the gig for Bullet. Yeah. To my mind, as much as I love Bullet, it's a very slow film. There's a lot of wordy going on in that movie and a lot of skullduggery with Robert Vaughan and all of this old rubbish and, and that, that people only know Bullet for the car chase I think the car chase in robbery is better
0: yeah I, I've seen Bullet a couple of times I haven't seen it recently but yes I, I remember the car chase in Bullet taking forever
1: yeah I think all on a freeway as well alright you've got the, the up and down the hills in San Francisco bit that everybody remembers but a yeah. lot of it is out of the city itself on a freeway this being London and streets that literally I, I work next to Northumberland Avenue where the heist takes place I can see from my office. It's, it was incredible to see it and, and you know to see it as it was in 1967. And it's great it just sets up the perfect first 10 minutes of the movie. You know, we've got everything. We've got lollipop men almost being mown down and groups of children, you know. It just it was just missing some people with a plane of glass <laughs> crossing the street and then it would have been you know it captured
0: all the yeah, yeah, that that would have been Tommy Cooper and Eric Sykes. It would have If
1: If they'd have gone through Covent (laughs) Garden I'm sure there'd have been like a grocery store with loads and loads of oranges or something that they'd have gone through
2: (laughs) Down an alleyway with loads of boxes stacked up for no
1: reason (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's a shame that Peter Yates is just remembered for car chase movies because he does a competent job throughout this movie, guys, doesn't he? Yes. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll come on to it, I'm sure, but the film's got almost like a documentary style to it. Very it realistic. It has.
1: And do you know the only thing that spoiled it for me? Sometimes I found that that wonderful sort of jazzy score was a bit overpowering. It sort of took you away from that documentary side uh. of things. Sometimes it made you think, oh, actually, this is a film. You know, because I did get sort of absorbed into it, because it was very documentary, yeah. Can,
0: uh, can I just mention the producer, one of the producers? Yes. <laughs> because shamelessly shoehorning a goon
1: <laughs> Go for this. it. This is why you're here.
0: I was interested to see that Michael Dealey was involved in yeah. the production, one of the producers. mm mm-hmm. And do you know do you know about Michael Geely?
1: I know the name. He's, he's not the American guy, is he? No, no, he's British.
0: He started out as an editor, I think, on the TV show Robin Hood, The Adventures of Robin Hood oh, right, in okay. the 50s. Yep. And he and a colleague decided that they wanted to get into film production and they started making sort of short B films and mm. things like that. But the first film they made, and it was with a view to it becoming a, um, selling it to the Americans for a TV series, believe it yeah. or not, was The Case of the Muckinese Battle Horn
1: excellent um are you aware of that
0: Stephen? that film uh no i'm not actually okay Mm. it remains the most successful transfer of goon show humor onto screen yeah i would say yeah and it's a short 35 minute Film mm-hmm. and then edited down to about twenty-five minutes.
1: Twenty, yeah, um, so yeah,
0: it, yeah, it's Sellers and Milligan and Dick Emery because Harry Secom was too expensive, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the, the so that's the goon connection. He also, which has nothing to do with the goons, but it amuses me. He one of the early films of his, sort of an exploitation <laughs> film in the early sixties, was called Sandy the Reluctant Nudist.
1: Okay. <laughs> it, oh, every time I sort of t- <laughs> come across one of those movies in research. Recent- <laughs> uh, my really mind instantly knows, goes to carry on camping and we're there at the, the cinema at the beginning watching yes. those nudie movies <laughs> and it, you know the, the sort of broadcast as, as high art basically you see, Doris Wishman wasn't it was the queen of those sort of movies she was the director the American director that, that made uh, one of those I wouldn't know oh, uh, there's a, oh, there was a great um, series in the um, early 90s late 80s called The Incredibly Strange Film Show with Jonathan Ross what? and he would pick like a cult director um, and back then this was just before sort of movie drome and all that lot came on the TV and, and one of them was Russ Meyer, one was Doris Wishman and one was Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan was like unknown at this time. And he and he would oh and Ed Wood was was another one. Mm, it's mm-hmm. a great TV series, you know, because a lot of these guys were still alive at the time and he was interviewing Russ Meyer and Doris Wishman and she was the queen of the Nudie movie. Complete um, distraction from what we're talking about, actually, now we've gone on a complete tangent here. Sorry, yes, no. that's I
0: tend to do that, yeah.
1: <laughs> and the only reason I am sort of aware of that, one of the ongoing sort of strands we're going to be doing this year on the show, as well as the kitchen sink dramas and the carry-on movies and that, we're going to start a history of those saucy sex comedies from the 70s. like the Car- Horror. Yes, like like the Confessions movies and all of that lot, but their basis is all back in this sort of 60s stuff. As I say, completely on the tangent there, guys. I've just noticed on the Wikipedia entry, what I mentioned earlier about the script, basically what happened, it was to avoid legal problems, the script that details the 25-minute robbery sequence, because that's quite an extended sequence in this movie, 25 minutes. As I say, it was taken from court evidence. The remainder of the film is described as fictitious speculation. Stanley Baker was quoted as saying, we had to make sure that there was no risk of accidental identification with anyone. The characters involved in the film are in no way based on the characters who took part in the Great Train Robbery. Now,
2: <laughs> and any
1: resemblance to those
2: living our dead is purely coincidental. P- purely
1: coincidental. It's incredible, really, because the train robbery itself is completely accurate, minute by minute, of what went on. For those that don't know the story, Bruce Reynolds' gang teamed up with a group <coughs> of train robbers from the south coast, basically from Brighton, because they have been very successful. And that whole business with swapping the light bulbs on the signals, that's exactly how it was done. Bruce Reynolds was amazed he thought it was some technical sort of wizardry that they managed to stop the train basically all they did was they rigged up a battery to the red light and put a glove over the green light and, and you see that in this movie um, well it
0: had t- one of those um, little you know when you go abroad and you've got a suitcase with one of those tiny little locks little padlocks on Yes, the, um, the signal bit, box it? just yeah. had a tiny little padlock like that
1: on it yeah <laughs> I think they cut the telephone lines all of this was accurate let's, let's talk about this bit let's talk about this 25 minute sequence because again Yates must have got that gig for Bullet. You know, he proved that he could do action sequences, car chases, as well as quite competently handling all the drama stuff that goes on before and after. It's almost silent as well, isn't it, that 25 minutes? There's not a yeah. lot of dialogue here. Difficulties of it being filmed in the dark, but there's nothing evident. I mean, Douglas Slocum, as we said, one of the best cinematographers this country has ever produced. What was your thoughts on the on the middle bit? Stephen, let's, let's go over to you for a second. The, the, the whole heist itself. It's a how-to, obviously. Um, yes.
2: How uh, you know. to Robert you to go and do this, you go... <laughs> Oh, right! I'll just watch this, and then copy it. Um, exactly. There's an intensity to it that allows you to be concentrated and feel that level of experience that would have had the tension with regards to the time critical as well. I mean, obviously, it's been stopwatched with regards to the timer of how long it is taking to do various bits to the point where they abandon um, some of the loop because of the fact that the. Happen to, to stop the clock the way it's done and not just the tension of the time side as far as the train arriving on time and them having to do everything in the correct pace but there's, there's tension between the various members which is in some bits unspoken and some bits it is actually shown and because as you say these are criminals who are working together but they're from different gangs that don't trust each other in some ways yeah. as well so there's a lot of tension in there which i think is heightened by the fact that the there is less dialogue and um, it's not a Chatty chatty thing when when they're going through the action side of things, but the way it shows the the lead up to the planning, scouting out, uh, and everything as well, I think is very good to set the the scene on it. That it's not just something they just turn up and decide to just uh, old west style just ambush a train that happens to be (laughs) to be passing by. (laughs) Um, Masks over their
1: noses, yeah, exactly,
2: yeah. Um, That they're on ponies um, or 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 driving minis. Actually, yeah. that was, I, as as a as a fan of the mini, I, I was very happy to see so many in the film. Oh, um, Why,
0: yeah, why but, did they put why did they put poor James Booth in a mini? Because he's about six and a half yeah,
1: foot tall. and <laughs> and there's also the the sequence we didn't even mention the sequence where Frank Finley is lifted from the prison.
0: That was a poorly situated prison. I thought <laughs> uh, it was like it's just this big alleyway. Yeah, surrounded by walls, and this, <laughs> <laughs> this 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 furniture removal truck just manages to park there. Happens
1: to be the right height. Yeah, exactly.
0: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminded me a, a, a bit of the story of George Blake. Did you know about George Blake? The, the spy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure that he. Well, I know he got sprung.
1: Wasn't he prison. a helicopter? I can't remember. There was. Uh, oh, was I I thought it was a truck. Was oh, it a I truck? Was. Possibly was. I might be. I might yeah. be. I might be wrong. Somebody else was sprung from a heli- by a helicopter as well. But yeah, definitely George Blake, and, and again, almost two way stretch as well, mate. We were talking about earlier. True. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you, you're quite right. It's 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 just highlights, as you said, Stephen, the the gang working together, but there is a bit of friction going on between them.
0: Um, what, what I liked was the fact it took. It, we were a good hour in before the actual heist occurs. Like you say, it doesn't just begin with the actual robbery. It takes its time to get there and you see all the planning and preparation. There's Um, a great
1: scene at um, Leighton Orient Football Club as well. Where they're all standing mm. together, and and some of the gang members drop out because of the way they were going to divide up the money. Oh, they were going to send it to Switzerland, weren't they? But and then yes. divide it up afterwards. And some of the you know the people that had been brought in and said, well, we don't want any part of this, and they walk away. But it was that great, you know, talking out the sides of their mouths at a football. So there was an actual match going on. It was Leighton versus um, Swindon or someone, I think they said. Yeah, then they they just filmed it and an actual football match on a Saturday afternoon.
2: The downfall of deciding that they had to split up the loot in this country rather than ship it out. And- and then do If the story, that bit is proving, really, that if they'd actually decided to stick to a plan that was being told to them, then people would have got away with it a lot better.
0: Frank Finley in prison. Mm. And they, you know, they, they needed to cast a, um, <laughs> a heavy. good, I, I was waiting to kind of... <laughs> for this. <laughs> 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 to, um, <laughs> to, to inform Frank of the plan. And of course, who, who, you gonna, who else are you going to cast but the, the vicar from Dad's Army?
1: Frank Williams. That still makes me laugh. I've seen this for four or five times this movie and it always <laughs> catches me out every time and the other one that always catches me is the policeman with the dog that turns up at the house oh oh <laughs> yes yeah john savaddon who's what's his name fred um fred elliot fred elliot from coronation street <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that house,
0: apparently, mm. was, was um, Stanley Baker's real house. Yes. Oh,
1: well, They saved a lot of money, they said, because the location shooting was was quite minimal, apart from the, the final scene in New York. Prison, I think, was filmed in Dublin, but the rest of it is obviously sort of like London locations and, and generally around that sort of area. Mm. Um, so they said they, that, that kept the budget down quite well. But did you know this? There were scenes filmed because they wanted in the original script to have some big sort of like criminal mastermind overseeing it some Mr. Big. They wanted it to appeal to the American audience. So they hired Jason Robards in America and they filmed scenes of him on a, on a luxury yacht sort of masterminding the whole thing that was never used.
0: Right, because at the end we see Baker in New York. Yeah. But only for literally, what, 30 seconds if that? Yep. And I thought, that's got a, got a lot of trouble to go to New York just to film... <laughs> That bit. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Apparently, and they've been talking about Switzerland, you say. They've been talking about Switzerland, Switzerland, Switzerland. And then suddenly <laughs> it was, it turns up in New York.
1: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Apparently, they filmed some scenes in Long Island on uh, Levine's own yacht. Apparently. And after it was done, they decided not to use the footage. Um, Vanessa Redgrave was approached to play Baker's wife but she turned it down and and that whole actual sequence with his wife Joanna Pettit who probably best known for Casino Royale yes yeah, I was watching it and I was
0: thinking where do we make her
1: from And, and not much else basically that was the only bit I think that really seemed sort of tacked on for me was that whole relationship between him and his wife and it didn't really need to be there I think
0: well, there's, there weren't many roles in this film for women at all. Let's let's face it. Yes. And and I, and I hate to say it, but you could have easily just removed her. Yeah. Her bits.
1: Yeah. You know? Exactly. Whatever um, <laughs> <friends>. Yeah. I <no. laughs> And and one other piece of casting, and I don't know who on earth he was going to play in this movie. George Raft, gangster. Yep. Right. Right. Was yeah. to have played a role in the film, but was unable to do so because he was refused entry into London. <laughs>
0: right. Okay. <laughs> Well, wasn't George Raft in with the mafia, anyway, or something. Yeah, I think he was
1: heavily involved. If truth be told, yeah, right. That's probably okay. why he's refused entry. Actually, that's probably. Well, it's why. not. I'm glad that
0: they didn't include. I mean, I love Jason Robards. I love um, uh, all the President's Men, one the my yeah. films, and he's great. but I'm actually glad that they didn't focus on the American side.
1: No, there was much. there was always a rumour at the time that there was some Mister Big behind the whole Great Train Robbery. If truth be told, it wasn't. It was a very low key sort of local uh, collaboration between rival gangs. That brought the whole thing to pass. So, yeah, that whole thing was only to appeal to the American (coughs) audiences, basically. And and I'm like you, I'm glad they didn't actually use it. While we're talking about cast or potential cast, I think this might be a good opportunity for Stephen to get his keys out and let's take a wander up to the Village Hall of Fame. Okay, we're into the Village Hall of Fame. Now, regular listeners will know the the theory behind this. We have created a monster, unfortunately. What we agreed at the beginning of this whole venture was that anybody that appears on the show three times will get inducted into the Hall of Fame, and we are not grand enough to have a Hall of Fame. We've only got a Village Hall of Fame, and it's it's overflowing at the moment. And I had a quick look down the uncredited cast list this morning, and I am now going to apologise to Stephen, because I think we've, well, I think Tyler ought to apologise to Stephen, because he has created a lot of work for it today <laughs> Stephen. Who, who's who's there who's who's knocking at the door well
2: we have 10 people making their second appearances <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> so to run through those very quickly yeah uh, james boo billy cornelius hugh elton kenneth barrington william marlowe tony o'leary robert russell Mike Vary, Frank Williams and Martin Weldeck. But as far as those who are coming in making their debut out into the Hall of Fame by getting three appearances, um, so they, they get a seat in the corner, one of the plastic chairs, yep. we have Clint Edwards, who's previously oh. in Ipress Vowel and Prize of Arms, which Excellent. we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Barry Foster, who uh, n- not in for Van but in for Dunkirk and Sweeney. Exclamation mark. Yes. Oh,
0: can I just say um, Barry Foster? I cannot I cannot look at Barry Foster without thinking, lovely. Do you know do you know where that comes it's from? Not,
1: not frenzy, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Frenzy. He's he's the
0: necktie murderer, yes. isn't he? Yeah. It's very, very disturbing.
1: It's a Wrong. great movie. That that's sort of on our, our list as well, Stephen, isn't it? Frenzy at some point. To movie. to watch it at
2: at the right point, not just throw it in there. We need to try and work out when to do it so we can do it right, yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so Barry Foster's in, yeah? Barry
2: Foster, um, Charles Gilead, who was in Doctor No and Trouble in Star. Okay. Uh, Patrick Jordan, who was previously in Dan Busters and League of Gentlemen. And the special mention of the few deviations we do from the actors we've got obviously Douglas Slocum because of Always Rains on a Sunday and Lavender Hillmore. Excellent. Um, oh, that's cinemat- good. Cinematographer. Good. Which is well deserving to, yes. to mention that he, as you say, we don't often go into the directors, producers and cinematographers and things, but there are exceptions and he definitely deserves that. Mm. So at that point I should mention that as far as how many people we have in the Village Hall of Fame with <laughs> cool. regards to free appearances yeah. or more, we're currently at the stage where we've got 403
1: <gasps> in the Village Hall of Fame and we've been going <coughs> is it five years this summer yeah that and, is an and incredible batting average 403 yeah 391 of our actors so it's only a
2: few like Douglas yeah. Slocum or John Bowman and, and yeah yeah Joe but, behind and the camera
1: yeah, yeah. um and I'm just going to point out to Tyler now as well as Stephen progresses now the names will become more and more unfamiliar as, as are the faces Yes. but they are yes. racking up double figures on, and there's two in particular I know that are going to be Stephen's going to mention at some mm. point so what are we on now the fourth appearances now then, the fourth
2: appearances okay. we have Esme Smythe okay yep <laughs> Uh, Man of the moment, rebel, and trouble in Star yeah. and Joseph Trogonino. Um, <laughs> I mean, Scott, Scott, Scott thinks I make some of these names up, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was was in Goldfinger, Rebel and Sweeney! Exclamation mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have a familiar name coming in with their fifth appearance, the aforementioned Stanley Baker.
1: Wonderful. Um, thankfully. Yep.
2: With C, Hell Drivers, Prize of Arms and Violet Prayer Ground, which is very good. Dan Lester is also making his fifth appearance.
1: Good old Dan.
2: Good old Dan. <laughs> uh, Terence Plummer as well. Okay. Uh, oh, um, so they're making their, their fifth appearances, which, returnees, mm-hmm. uh, which is, is good. We do have one person making their seventh appearance. Uh, Joe Wadham.
1: No idea. Um, I've absolutely no idea. we'll,
2: we'll, we'll recognise... As him from Doctor in the House, Dunkirk, uh, Legal Gentleman Man, of the moment, night to remember. Just about it's to say we haven't, one.
1: yeah, we haven't had any night to remembers yet. This is another yeah, thing, private, Tyler. Private because well. yeah, another thing, Tyler, because there was fifteen hundred people on board the Titanic. We think there were fifteen hundred actors in that movie. Because, <laughs> honestly, yeah, they just crop up again. Everybody was in a night to remember. Absolutely, if you, well, if you were, Jeffrey. um Jeffrey. Um, What's his name? Beldon. Cat Weasel. Beldon. Jeffrey Beldon. Yeah. This is the other fun fact we like about um, <laughs> Night to Remember. Four people that played Q in the Bond movies appeared in Night to Remember. No, right. Desmond Llewellyn, Jeffrey Belden, Alec McGowan, and the other one who was the very first one in Doctor No, who was just known as Major Boothroyd. All four, or not all four, but four people that played Q appeared in Night to Remember. Wow.
0: But uh, if you were, uh, Ben was sure. Yeah, far too young. Yeah, far, far too, too big, young. Yeah. And, uh, yeah.
2: But if you were a jobbing actor at that time, whether you were a jobbing actor as a four year old or a jobbing actor as a 7 <laughs> year old, you would have been in that film. Absolutely. Um, everybody got a call for it, I think. So, moving on from seven appearances, we do actually have somebody making their 12th appearance.
1: I've got two names down that I know are going to crop oh. up in the double figures, but I don't want to guess what one it is. Actually, so can, we, I, can I hazard a guess? Go on then. Is it Fred Wood? It is. <laughs> Old Fred. <laughs> Who's Fred
2: Wood? Exactly. That, <laughs> right. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, it, you mean you've never seen Curse of Frankenstein or Dad's Army or From Usher with Love or Heavens Above or Man for All Seasons or Night to Remember or Free Hats for Lisa Time Bandits Amazing Mr. Blunden or Wicker Man or Wivnell oh, and I? I've,
0: seen all, I've seen, all, I have seen all of them apart from one of them that you mentioned. Yeah. you
1: have seen all of You've seen him. You've Fred, seen Fred's, him. Fred's
0: then. in all of um, them. <laughs> right
1: but there's a there's one that's even more isn't there I know who's coming up
2: the, the, there is um, mm. 14 appearances which is our leader as far as appearances uh, of anybody male or female yep. in the, the whole of I'm happy because he, he, he's from Scarborough just down the road from me <laughs> uh, not the most famous actor from Scarborough because uh, that's Ben Kingsley but um, yes. Guy Standeven uh, was... who was in charity of fire georgie girl the hope and glory lolita man of the moment night to remember one good turn primary mystery and Brody, private progress quater mass the rebel the reckoning and robbery <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was billed as pipe smoking detective at police station in this i know moment. the
0: one i know the people yeah. in um he bought in the blonde driver didn't he That's uh it. for booth to uh interrogate yeah,
1: that's him yeah, yeah. yeah. and
0: because I, I noticed him going off to one side and lighting a pipe
1: that's him sucking on a pipe yeah. he was acting right up to the late 90s I think his last credited appearance was something like an Inspector Morse or something like that this guy and, and the
2: thing is people like this me and Scott start actually recognising yeah <laughs> <Because> <laughs> we start looking for there's a guy called Victor Harrington yes who, um, is he's not had 14 appearances he's had 12 mm. I think or 13 yeah if you look him up on the internet you'll really struggle to try and find a picture of him but, he's, he's, but then you look at his um, IMDB and he was in like oh, 300 films something like that
1: yeah and we, we can spot him now and again now we've sort of recognised he's got these sort of like sleepy eyes hasn't he that's how we look out for yeah. him yeah. now and, and it's incredible and, and I take it that the Duchess is still top of the tree with regard to the, females, the ladies yeah, yes. our, uh,
2: the Duchess Marion Stone who oh, oh yes you'd know Marion Stone Tyler, familiar, Tyler. Who, yes. who she is yeah, um, yeah she's got appearances, so she's only one behind. Um, guy. But, um, but yes, Marion Stern. I'm sat at some point watching a bit of Talking Pictures TV, uh, the greatest TV channel in the country, Indeed. and yeah. um, very, very good podcast as well, actually. Um, <laughs> well, at least, at least two out of three weeks, um, and then. Um, <laughs> And suddenly, Marianne Stone or Cyril Chamberlain will, will be on screen, and I'll suddenly pause it and take a photo and, and WhatsApp it to Scott and say, Look, there she is, there's the <laughs> Duchess. And he'll go, Yay! <laughs> so we've, we've, we've got this odd sort of you no, know, I'm not train <coughs> spotting, but. But Marion Stone spotting, yeah, <coughs> and she she just so, played um, a wide
1: variety, didn't she, of, of characters? Oh, she yeah. had a range, yeah. yeah. While we're talking about the cast, did anybody notice who the train driver's mate was that got out to try and make the phone call? Yeah, it was um, television's Robert Powell, very very young Robert Powell. Yeah. We've mentioned Frank Williams and John Savidan James Booth. Let me just sort of touch on James Booth for well, a second. Sorry, mm. before you do, there's, mm. there's one other person
0: that we haven't mentioned who I think gets the short end of the stick when it comes to acting roles. Cool. Mike Pratt.
1: Oh, um, oh, yes. Thingy, um, um, Randall
0: and Hopkins. Randall. Mm. Yeah. Because whenever I see him in films, which is occasionally, very occasionally, yeah. you'll see him pop up in films. He's always uncredited and he usually only gets like a, you know, a minute screen time, if that. He was in Vault of Horror. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Where he, he doesn't even get a line He just gets offed <laughs> Within 30 <laughs> seconds <laughs> uh, But he was a pretty big star on TV I, I just think his film career Just didn't seem to take off
1: And it must have been round about This sort of time The ITC stuff You know of The mm. late 60s mm. Yeah it's incredible I mean it's a massive cast When you go into the, the IMDB page But three quarters of them Are uncredited And, and mm, we, yeah. we find that quite often Stephen we, When we're going through The Hall of Fame It's just like You know Back then there would only be like The first sort of 12 sort of people actually on the credits. I just want to say, I wanted to go back to talk about James Booth very quickly. As we know, James Booth, and Glenn Edwards both appeared in Zulu, didn't they? With um, Stanley Baker. James Booth at the time was predicted to have some sort of like equal, if not superior career to Michael Caine because of his performance in Zulu. They predicted great things for him, but he made a very bad choice after Zulu. Do you know what this was? Do you know this story? No. Okay. He decided to appear in Lionel Bart's production of Twang. <laughs> there you go. Tyler <laughs> knows exactly where I'm going with this. Now, Lionel Bart was the, the king of the West End at the time because of of Oliver. Yep. He, you know, he's riding high on the success of Oliver, so he's, he's decided to do this musical based on, on Robin <laughs> Hood. <laughs> and James Booth mainly chose Twang, A, because, you know, Lionel Bart, this this can't go wrong. He was going to appear with his co-star from Sparrows Can't Sing, Barbara Windsor. She was in it as well. And I think, Tyler, correct me if I'm wrong here, didn't it close after something like 12 weeks? Like right, that, I think
0: it was. Wasn't it a
1: week or something? Was it wrong? only a week? Well, there you now, go. And I'm sure Ronnie Corbett was in that as well. I think he was. I think he was. There's a lot of famous faces in this. Did you only have a little part? You Who did? Little John, <laughs> Little John. Yes, there he I don't know. <laughs> And and it was it's a massive massive disaster. I think there might have been 12 months production and then as you say, it may have only, you know, hit the stage for a week or something. But because he'd taken up the part in Twang, he turned down two major roles. Okay, one was the lead in Modesty Blaze, which went to Terence Stamp, and which made is awful him, film. Yeah, I but think. made him a superstar. Yeah and he turned down the role of Alfie oh well, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: now <laughs> James Booth will continue to act you know he, he was still doing lots of stuff I think he's still alive isn't he I believe James Booth no uh, is, he's, is he gone now he's, yeah I think he passed away 10 maybe 15 years ago
2: I think it oh, was it is, I think he, he made it into the 2000s yeah. but he, um, he passed away there
0: he is. I, I always associate him with not with films but with the second series of Alfie pet, yes. where he he plays one of Ali Frey as dodgy mates Kenny Kenny that's it
1: Kenny also he appeared in Twin Peaks he was a recurring character in the second season of Twin Peaks because he did have a bit of a career over in America but yeah he he did have this sort of like bubbling under career but it could have been so much more if it wasn't for Twang
0: yeah but Twang didn't Ronnie Corbett's career just Went from strength to strength. Oh, but then look, Ronnie Corbett didn't turn down Alfie. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Ronnie Corbett was up for it. You now that, <laughs> that we know. Now that we know. That would have been a completely different movie. Can you imagine Ronnie Corbett? Yeah. <laughs> D- so Deliver- was-
0: D- delivering monologues oh, into the camera from the big yeah. chair. What's it,
1: What's it all about? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Oh, dear Lord. Okay, so that is the cast, cast and crew of Robbery. Have you guys got any particular scenes or favourite moments in the movie that stand out for you that you want to talk about?
0: I want to talk about Frank Finlay briefly. Mm -hmm. His character's purpose in the film... He doesn't really get used. I mean, what, they break him out of prison for currency expertise reasons. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But that never actually really figures in the film. The only reason that he is in the film is so that he can try and phone his wife. Yeah. Which then triggers the
1: cops. The downfall, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: And I just they needed some patsy didn't they or some uh some weaker character who would um, oh yeah turn out to be the agent of their downfall
1: his expertise is certainly never used in the plot itself no. it is literally no. his relationship with his wife and you know going to watch him in the, at the playground as well there's that scene isn't there where you know almost goes to run over to say hello to them
0: there, uh, there was a, there was a great line where again the character's name escapes me but the blonde driver yes. who, who they catch yeah. following the diamond heist mm. there's that great scene with the, the ID parades back in the day when the actual person had to walk in
1: front of them <laughs> and the, touch them on the shoulder
0: yeah <laughs> and that woman the school teacher yes. who almost gets mown down um, she slaps him and then later on he says um, yeah, that I don't know what he calls it, he said that that bloody school teacher. Yeah. What does she know or something? And then James Booth says, how did you know she was a school teacher? Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. Great. Unless you were there. <laughs> did you recognise the school teacher? No. Not particularly famous, probably best known as playing one of the number twos in The Prisoner.
0: But Prisoner George Markstein, by mm. the way.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is he right? co-wrote the screenplay, didn't he? He did, he did. There you go. It's, it's all interlinked this, isn't it? It's yeah. bizarre. We've got ITC references and everything going on. And I've written
0: down here, and I can't think what I've written this down for. Yeah. I've put Stanley Baker's wig in high definition.
1: <gasps> you notice it more in the New York scene where the sunlight's on it. Yeah. <laughs> He's very blonde in that bit. But then again, he might have put on a blonde one as a disguise. I can't remember if he was blonde throughout. He wasn't really blonde, was he? But yeah, that's that does stand out quite a bit. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he wore a hat in virtual all the scenes previous to that as far as I recall he
1: had a flat cap didn't he for a lot of them that's true yeah there are advantages to Blu-ray Tyler but sometimes you know some things are best left unseen aren't they mate to be honest I thought Glenn Edwards was pretty good in this playing the the police officer he Um, was yeah absolutely bring that severe haircut and that very sort of military moustache of his
0: that, that scene in the briefing room with the phone the, <gasps> the telephone lines that, yeah. suspended from the ceiling that looked
1: weird I've never seen that in a movie before Stephen is, is that something we've come across before in like any of our Scotland Yard movies that we've done with Jack Hawkins or anything there's never been cables coming down from the ceiling is there? no not to my recollection wow perhaps it was just some sort of uh, intriguing device that I don't know Pete Yates come up with with Douglas Slocum Saying, do you know what? Wouldn't it be good if you had a lot of cables coming down. I don't know the reasoning behind <laughs> that whatsoever. No. Uh, William Marlowe, who disguised himself as one of the ambulance drivers at the beginning, and I think he was one of the drivers and all that lot. I recognised him, and I thought well, that's been bugging me, but he's been in a couple of other films because as you said, Stephen, this is his second appearance. He was Jill Gascoigne's boss in the gentle touch. Yes. That's him, isn't things, it? Yeah. Am I right in that? He is, isn't yeah. it? William Marlowe. Yeah. yeah. It's not a particularly sort of like superstar Cast, but they're all familiar aren't they these first sort of 12 that are credited well,
0: george, george, of course you've got george sewell who yes. would go on to work with powell on the detectives of
1: course he did the links in this is incredible when we start discussing this
0: mm. i wonder did they ever a scene together because i know robert powell was only very briefly in it but did sewell sort of manhandle him at any point might have done, i might didn't, have didn't, any, didn't might.
1: notice no because i think robert <coughs> powell gets out and he uh He goes to the telephone, doesn't he? And it's been cut. Mm. And then somebody calls him over, don't they, towards the middle of the train. And he walks up down the line. And then they just bundle him off down the embankment, don't they? Um, That's right. But we can't see who it is because they've all got masks on interesting one of the bits that is accurate for the actual train robbery itself at the very end when they've gone to the time limit and it's like we've got to go we've got to go after they've loaded up all of the money down you know throwing it down the embankment and Stanley Baker turns to all the train crew that are in the carriage and says don't move for half an hour we're going to leave somebody here that actually happened but they didn't leave anybody there in the real robbery and that was the reason that the police focused their search 30 minutes away they drew a perimeter of like 30 minutes travel and didn't focus within that circle and all the time the gang were right in the oh. middle of it because they well, said... when he's getting out
2: when he's getting out of the train mm. as you know he closes the door yeah and very clearly says loud enough for the people inside to hear Yep. That you know, if any of them moved to them, yeah, they don't, they um, don't as if he's talking it. to somebody who is being left behind. When yeah. obviously
1: not, yeah. And then obviously the next main difference is it's a disused airfield that they use, uh, where in reality it was Slade Farm. And there's that famous story of them using the Monopoly board and playing with real money and all of this business. And if it wasn't for the guy that was supposed to have cleaned up after them because it was a bit of a rush, they left a lot of evidence behind. They probably would have got away with it because you know the police suspected it was Gordon Goody and all these guys. But they had no evidence to actually pin it on them. Absolutely none until they, they discovered uh, a fingerprint on the bath. I think it was. Literally that was it. It's an incredible story. Absolutely incredible story. And if you want to see a more accurate version of it, the BBC did a two-part thing a couple of years ago. I think it's Luke Evans playing Bruce Reynolds. Um, very, very good. Very, very good uh, telling of the story. Avoid Buster at all counts. Uh,
0: oh, <laughs> I don't mind Buster, actually. It's okay. I, I, it's okay. It, 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 it's, it passes the time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to be a I'm going to uh, provoke hate mail perhaps, but I don't mind Phil Collins in terms of acting. Yeah, I think he's okay.
1: He he may end up in the Hall of Fame at some point because he was a child actor, wasn't he? in a lot of children's film foundation stuff. Well, he was in Hard Days Night, wasn't he? Of course, he was. That was it. Mm. Yeah, of course. Yeah Stephen anything Standing out for you Or performances in particular Anything you want to Well I think we've already Covered it I mean mm. the
2: Chase scene with the cars yeah. Early on was Absolutely outstanding Yeah And influential as well Obviously But I think that it was just Done well all the way through I think it is underrated As a film it Should have more attention on it Maybe it's because Subsequently The actual True story of what's happened With the Great Train Robbers Eventually came out And therefore The backstory that they have On this Which they've fictionalised As made this is not not seen in the same light as it should yeah. have been. Yeah, that's perhaps part of the reason. Because it's certainly not because it's in any way badly performed, badly directed, badly written, or, or anything. So I can only assume that's one of the reasons why it's overlooked because it's very a, yeah. a credible film otherwise.
0: There's one little interesting bit of direction, or the actor decided to do this himself, and you know, it would like to be interesting to find out. When the police are giving chase at the beginning of the film, mm. and they they managed to let Barry Foster and his mate jump out of the car. Yes, yeah. I didn't actually check the actors, and it was bugging me, and I could have just gone on IMDB but the guy who played Aitken the guy with the sort of the bad complexion that's William Marlowe right at one point as they're being chased he looks like he's really enjoying it (laughs) he looks like he's relishing every minute of it Okay. And I just feel that you would expect in a film of this period or this vintage Mm -hmm. for the act, for the characters to look sort of worried, scared, even angry. Maybe I don't know. You know, they're just desperate to get away from the cops. Mm. But his character, (laughs) he looks like he's loving every minute of this chase. Um, and even when they almost mow down the kids, they both, (laughs) the driver and he seem delighted by this. And it's almost like psychopathic.
1: Yeah, we you know? get, we're getting away uh, with this this cat and mouse thing. It's yeah, you know, we, we're gonna we're gonna get away from the police. <laughs>
0: and it's, that lent it, a, a, as I say, an almost more sort of a realistic yeah, tone.
1: Absolutely. That you've just reminded me. of One particular part in that chase scene is where the copper jumps out in front of them and smashes the windscreen with the yes, the yes. and That's a great bit of filmmaking there because it doesn't. It's seamless, isn't it? From. Yeah. You know, they must have cut at some point to make They punched out the broken glass. yeah. that was a really clever bit of filmmaking. I completely forgot about that bit. So, all in all, guys... It's
2: interesting to see them all getting thrown around in the back of the car and stuff, and even in the front seats and
0: stuff, because, you know, nobody wearing a (laughs) seatbelt. Although, no, you say that, I noticed that later on in the film, when James Booth arrives at the crime scene, in his little mini, mini. mini he's wearing a seatbelt, he's wearing a seatbelt, and he carefully takes it off. Oh, Well, as, as
2: as somebody who, who up until a couple of years ago um, had a history of always driving minis yeah you, have to, you need a seatbelt <laughs>
1: <laughs> apparently you know when the police turn up after the robbery and they're searching the embankment and all of this there's lots and lots of policemen about you know poking in the grass with sticks and things like that a lot of them were actual policemen that were off duty uh, and the reason oh, right. being right I found this out this morning I didn't know this at all if you were filming in the London area back then or within a 30 mile radius you had to to use extras from the official extras. Union. If you were filming outside of this 30-mile radius of London, you could use whoever you want. So, apparently, all these, you know, off-duty coppers said, well, I'll just, I'll just turn up in my uniform, you know, and I'll get paid sixpence a day, whatever it was the union's rate was back then. And they're real coppers, and apparently Glyn Edwards tells this story, that he pulls up in his car to, you know, arrive for filming for that day, and his, his road tax has run out, and, and one of the coppers pulls him up over it and says, by the way, sir, uh, your tax disc has, uh, has expired. <laughs> Okay, guys, so all in all, I think we are generally agreeing that this... Is a pretty good movie, aren't we? It's a corker. It's a corker. Yeah. It's it's criminally criminally underseen, for want of a better phrase. Oh,
0: <laughs> I'm touching my nose and pointing. <laughs> me,
1: <Patrick. laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I promise you. And, and I think that's mainly because it was it wasn't available for a very long time. And it's it's just one of those great heist movies. All right, it's partially based on a true story, but it fits in nicely around this sort of era where we're going to get get carter and all of those sort of like british gangster type movies you know criminal with um Stanley Baker's about this sort of time as well and it's a perfect addition to all of them and I I think for me it's got an added interest because of you know my interest in the actual real robbery and the research that I did for Rainbow Valley when I did that massive great documentary that I did on it Um, and yeah all right, because they've had to change some of the facts and the figures it it doesn't take it away you know what they've done with the fictionalised bits works perfectly you know the jailbreak the bit of the football ground stood out for me as well as the car chase and, and as you said is it, Tyler I think the New York bit at the end seems sort of tacked on it might have had something to do with the inclusion of Jason Robards and they even put the credits don't they? the end question mark don't they or something yes they do yeah, yeah. so whether there was plans for a sequel or not we'll, we'll never know
0: but I, I would urge any listeners who haven't seen it mm. to go out because it's, it's the Blu-ray of it is superb because you can get Blu-rays of old films which are incredibly gravy and I got a Blu-ray of Marnie oh you what know, Hitchcock um, yeah. I can't watch that it's really? just terrible transfer
1: I've got um, a copy of that I'll mm, have to have a look
0: Robbery is beautiful
1: well it's Network as at. you say all the, all the stuff they bring out they brought out a brilliant one of Yield to the Night with Diana Dawes a great transfer yes. of that and it's yeah. those sort of movies that you know perhaps only <laughs> only us lot will be watching to be honest but I'm certainly you know going to be paying a tenner for anything that comes out from Network because they've, they've got some cracking titles under their belt okay guys that was Robbery Tyler has very kindly agreed to appear on the show once Again in the near future So what we'll do, we'll take a quick break And we'll be back after this (laughs) Okay guys, so that was robbery 1967 As I say, Tyler has very graciously decided that he may have actually enjoyed himself this morning talking to us too, and has agreed always, yes. <laughs> and has agreed to come back. So we will give him the opportunity to choose another movie. What have we got in mind for next time, mate? Uh, next time, Scott, mm. I would like to bring along the Railway Children. Skeptics out there will say that there is some sort of like railway conspiracy going on in your choices mm. here. But...
0: <laughs> well, it was it, it was either that or the um, the uh, Sean Connery Donald Sutherland. First great train robbery.
1: First great train robbery. That's, yeah. a, that's another great. That is another great movie. <laughs> that's on our list, isn't it? Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: But uh, re- re- I'd like to. Do, I'd like to do the Railway Children, please,
1: Scott. Consider it on the table for next time. That'll be in a couple of months. I'm looking forward to it because we've been going on about Railway Children for a while, Stephen, haven't we? Ever since like, we did Mr. Blunden yes. recently, and we love Lionel Jeffries and, and Jenny Agatha and Sally Thompson's in it, isn't she? They, they, and and Cribbins, of course. Of course. Sir Bernard, hopefully this year at last, please. Mm. <laughs> Did you see all the um the uproar about the audiobook recently, Mr. Cribbins? Um, no, no. He no. he brought out his autobiography, didn't he, last year, year before, but they refused to sign a deal for the audiobook for some reason. They said it would never sell. And there's been this big sort of uproar on Twitter where people have found out, and, and they've relented, and Bernard Cribbins recorded an audiobook of his autobiography last week. which is kind Great. That'd be the Great. perfect voice, isn't it? The voice of the Wombles, obviously, you know. <laughs> Before we let you go, Tyler, could you let our dear listener out there how they can actually listen to your podcast, please,
0: sir? Uh, yes, so it is called Goon Pod, uh, and it is—it as I said, it's—it um, covers everything, anything that's got a goon connection. It, you know, that's what we cover, and it is available in all the usual places: iTunes. Spotify, Stitcher all, all your favourite podcast shops yeah. essentially yeah um, but it's free and I think we've done 40 plus episodes now including the episode with Scott which went out uh, a number of weeks ago which mm. was about the Peter Sellers film The Naked Truth yeah. which was a lot of fun
1: I enjoyed that yeah
0: Yeah. in and fact f- that, that's a film that has that ends with a the end question mark as oh, well isn't
1: it it does it's a very awful ending we decided that it was sort of yes. tacked on because Shirley Eaton was missing wasn't she and it's just, yeah. it just a bizarre ending to that Movie, an otherwise brilliant movie, actually. Yes. Um, and Stephen, it would be one that would have kept you busy in the Hall of Fame, mate. To be honest, and <laughs> there's, there's there's some big hitters in that, some really big names. Again, criminally underseen. Yeah. Tyler, thank you so much for being part of the show this morning, sir.
0: I oh, think it has been delightful. I've really, really enjoyed myself, and it's very nice to work with you, Stephen, as they say. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: Good to have, have virtually met
2: you, and know uh, we're going to do it again. Yes.
0: Yes. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. A couple of months' time, we'll all be together again for. Railway children. That's it from me. Thanks very much to both of you guys. We'll see you all very soon. Thanks, goodbye.
0: Cheers. Take care. A positive sha.
2: Goodbye. Good luck.
1: Thank you. Hand up, sir. I'm sick of pains. <laughs>